What's up, my brothers and sisters? Welcome to the Fireground Fitness Podcast, where we talk about all things pertaining to life on and off the fireground. My guest today is a brother by the name of Jason Miller. He is the creator of the Stormstick Decon device. And more than that, he is an all-around fantastic guy. We talk about the Stormstick, we talk about life in the firehouse and on the fireground, and so much more. I hope you enjoy. Jason Miller, welcome to the Firegraph Fitness Podcast. <laughs> We've been going for a couple of minutes now, and uh, which is we can't help ourselves. We sit down and start, and whenever we sit down together, we just start yapping. Um, I want to talk to you about uh, some of the stuff that you're doing in in the fire service in the cancer prevention space. Um, but before we get into that, uh, you are you are uh, not only are you interesting in that way, but you have a lot of other things that make you an interesting person. So let's. I want to know a little bit about who Jason Miller is, how you got here, um, how you came out so high on the chief's list. Cause that, that <laughs> baffles me. <laughs> um, had, to, had to bring that up, huh? Yeah. But how did you, so let's go back though. Before, how did you become a firefighter or how did you get into this space yeah. in the first place? Uh, you know, I grew up in, um, uh, around sports. I played sports most of my life. I had some good friends who were, um, that I grew up with coming into high school. In fact, one who's on the job now who wasn't originally didn't want to be a fireman and, now is his dad was a, was a captain of the Phoenix Fire Department. And, uh, man, I was probably 13, 14, and uh, became pretty intrigued. And back then, you know, he pulled me in. I started doing ride-alongs at a really early age. And I was fortunate that, man, it was like uh, to know when you're 14 years old what you the trajectory of your life <laughs> you want that to look like is a is a pretty cool thing and that was really it you know i was exposed to it in a, in a very cool way and uh, in a time when i think the phoenix fire department was doing some really cool and innovative things and had uh you know just uh, allowed for me to see see a department um at its uh, at, at its upward uh, upward climb you know and so yeah i got pulled into that and i just um i knew pretty early that that was something that I was really interested in. And so I uh, kept leaning into it as I was going through high school, maintained that relationship and uh, got plugged in. I got hired with the fire department at a really early age. I was actually got hired with uh, another agency um, uh, in when I was 19 years old. And then I was turning 21 and I got hired with Phoenix's Academy. And um, it's sort of worked out ever since. There's an interesting... Uh, it's interesting uh, going through the fire department, and I don't mean to rabbit trail here necessarily, but um, uh, getting hired at a really young age yeah. makes your career interesting a little bit um, in some ways. How and, so? Uh, I think you feel like you're growing up a little bit on the job, you know, yeah. not only learning and learning all the things, getting the reps that other people are, but you're working some stuff out as well. And I, I started working when I was 11 years old. Um, and I had a paper, if you remember the penny saver, I used to know oh, yeah. at 11 years old, you could do that. And then a paper out and then I started working on end jobs and just my entire life I've been at it. So it wasn't the work and the, the ethic that was, that I needed to grow up in. It was just life you know, exposure to things at an early age when you're being exposed to some pretty, uh, pretty ridiculous things, you know? Well, it's, it, it kind of goes back to what we were just talking about, uh, 
before we kind of started officially here, which was you're dealing with customer service in the community. And some of the, some of the, the needs that our customers have uh, involve life coaching, right. right? And you come on this job at 21 and you're probably looking at these people going, they don't know that already or, yeah. or you're, or you're just trying to figure out like, wow, this is, you know, you're, you're watching maybe some older folks on the job who are sharing wisdom and, and coaching people through some of these weird situations. And you're learning that as, mm-hmm. as you're coming up at a pretty young age, which is not many 21 year olds are exposed to that kind of, um, you know, direct education, yeah. you know, in that kind of environment. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And you're impressionable. And so mm-hmm. who you interact with is important. As we all know, there's a lot of diversity on this mm-hmm. job and there's a lot of mm-hmm. different thought processes. And so you become vulnerable to those things as well. Hopefully, you know, for those that, that are aligned with folks that are, that are squared away, um, that's great. Uh, others aren't. So, and I, I remember early on, I don't know if this even fits, but I was pretty young in my career and we ran on this uh, car wreck. Uh, guy had like five kids in the car, no seat belts, was acting like an idiot and rolled his car, kids everywhere. Mm. But I was pretty young, you know, we're out there taking care of him. I remember I got so mad viscerally, you know, and I'm over holding C-spine on the dad while I'm dressing him down, you know, <laughs> and I'm, I'm getting yeah. in this guy's grill and, you know, saying all kinds of questionable things. Um, and I remember a seasoned captain came over and just said something like, Hey man, if this is how it's going to be for you, you're going to have a really long career. <laughs> you know, you're going to need to get a handle on some of this stuff. And it's those kind of things that I, I think you just, you need some exposure to. Um, and, uh, yeah. So, uh, I've, I feel like I've learned a lot. I've been at this for gosh, 27 years now. Um, and so I've, I've seen and uh, experienced a lot. I've been able to have things off the job that I've done as well to parallel that too. But, um, but yeah, so the path getting here was really something that I was, I'm blessed and I, I'm thankful that, that I, I, uh, found this path at an early age. Uh, it's got, given me a lot of longevity and energy as I'm going through. It's kind of cool <laughs> to be where I am now and feel like I still got a lot of juice, you know? Yeah. I still feel like I got a lot left in the tank. Um, and with a whole bunch of, you know, hopefully history that can help make that important and, and, and add value to some stuff. So, yeah. Well, so let's talk about that a little bit. You, you've, um, we'll talk about the fact that you're going to be a chief here soon <laughs> in a minute, but you've been a company officer. When for... you became it, was that weird to hear? <laughs> Man, like I, I was in the, I became a captain late in life, and I, I knew I wanted that. And I was driving that, and this thing kind of snuck up on me a little bit. And uh, being exposed to the chief world is different. And now hearing that for some reason to me, the chief sounds sounds different than everything. Does else it make did. you feel old? <laughs> yeah, maybe, maybe. You remember when you came on, and all the guys you thought were the old guys, the dinosaurs? Yeah. That's you know? us now. We are them. We are yeah, those guys. We are them. Yeah. So anyway, I'm sorry to interrupt. I, was... I don't even know what I was going to ask you, but yes, to your point, it is weird, and I think it's it's weird in the sense that it is a massive gear shift. You're you're changing gears, and you know that's happening, and then everyone around you starts a starts hanging that label on you and with that label comes expectations mm-hmm. of who you're going to be what you're going to look like how you're going to carry yourself what your leadership's going to look like and what you're going to get done mm-hmm. what you're going to accomplish for the troops and for the organization yeah um and for the community and so there's some there's some weight and, and gravitas that comes with that title mm-hmm. um 
you know, at first I was like, hey, man, don't call me chief, man. I was like, yeah, I'm just rain. <laughs> um, but then I began to realize that it was, you know, it was it was out of respect and it was out of it was appropriate. And and um, and I said, well, OK, I got to live up to that, you know, that moniker now. Yeah. I gotta carry that. I gotta I gotta fill the boots of the the folks who came before me and, and try to level up from there if I can. Yeah. So yeah. Well, and you know what really what pulled me into this is uh, you know, obviously there's a there's a little bit of a of a line from labor to management when you're a captain, you're kinda on the high food chain of that labor mm-hmm. side. And I, I really felt I was I was excited at the traction that I had on that side. You know, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. W- when folks came through the station, we had a pretty good program and I felt like we, you can influence people and you can train and you can develop, you own that station and you can run it how you want. And you're sitting in meetings and you have a voice and it, um, I, I felt really good about that, you know? And um, the question I always had was stepping, uh, stepping into that, you know, management side, would I have the same influence? Um, if I would, and that was the kicker for me, is I never was convinced that I would until mm. some people exposed me to that. And when I started realizing, not only can you, but I was put in some situations where I was able to. And I, and you watch, you're able to see that I can do, I can have an impact on a much larger scale in the direction of the things that I think are really important and really valuable that are doing good for the organization for our folks who are out there doing the work and then also the people that we're tasked with taking care of so i think that was what brought that on was man i i i'm excited about what what larger scale things can be done to to influence things on a on maybe a say greater scale but just on a higher level scale um that can have real impact on on some things so yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, I, I, it's I, a, it, it's an absolutely an evolution, right? So when you're a firefighter, you you can have a direct impact on Mrs. Smith by patching holes and you know plugging in IVs and and providing uh, TLC and, and and holding in hand, and you can actually you physically can rip people from the clutches of death when need be. Right. Yeah. And then as the company officer, you're responsible for making sure your your folks have the training they need and the equipment they need in your in your house. Um, you know, and you're you're taking care of your station and making sure that they have a safe space to work, you know, physically and yeah. emotionally. Yeah. Um and all those things right now you're taking so you're taking care of Mrs. Smith one step removed, right? Yeah. And then as a as the you know, battalion chief or, or whatever chief you are, you know, division chief or what have you, your your sphere of influence increases Mm -hmm. but your direct connect to mrs smith is separated a little bit so you can still have a tremendous impact on the mission um but now you have to be a little bit more thoughtful and strategic about the way you accomplish that through um you know physical resource allocation and, and making sure that the you know your your budget folks know what's needed so that they can procure the right equipment and stuff like that right. what's missing in your firehouse facilities issues that you're having etc um, and then really the most important thing is figuring out what your people need to be successful right. right providing them with sufficient training and and identifying what their gaps in knowledge are so you can help them be successful right. you know we were talking a while back about uh, changes in um, you know paramedicine type stuff mm-hmm. well you know, we have to stay attuned to that so that we can help our folks be uh, tuned up on it. Yeah. Because if they come in and they start making mistakes on stuff and you're like, wow, now they're just doing things we've always done things. Yeah. But there's 10 changes that have happened since uh, that are contributing to our problems moving forward. Well, 
we have to help facilitate those changes with good communication, which is something we talked about as a challenge, right? Mm-hmm. Making sure people are reading their emails or or whatever form of communication we're utilizing is appropriate for the audience and they're getting into it and they're getting the information they need to be successful, et cetera. So it's, so it makes sense that, you know, someone like yourself, that as you're maturing, like you're vested, you're committed, you care about the organization. And as you're maturing and growing up as a human being, you're beginning to realize, oh, I can have additional influence, um, by, by taking on this added responsibility, this added added level of stewardship, I can, I can affect more change and more impact for my folks in a positive way and help them fulfill the mission. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's funny you started off. uh, I almost made a joke because we start off talking about, you know, procurement and, you know, budgets and communication. And uh, it's like, man, like put me to sleep. And I think that's what most people understand goes on over there, you know? Um, it's not the sexy work, but really if, if you realize that most all of that is geared towards, um, evolving the organization and supporting the work that we do and the troops that are doing it, it does become kind of cool work. You know, yeah. uh, I remember, and, and I, I hope this applies, but it was interesting to understand this. And for those folks who are out there listening, if you're on the fire side, if you're a firefighter and you, you're looking at like, what do those chiefs do in those offices? And the chiefs kind of sometimes it's easy for us to sort of uh, get in our routines too or their routines. Um, I was working, I work as a field incident tech for those out there that have those. Our battalion chiefs have a, have what's called a fit or field incident tech. Who's a also captain. known as a battalion safety officer in some circles. Battalion safety officer. There you go. Yeah, it, it is a safety officer position. Or an incident safety officer in other circles. <laughs> All right, sorry. No, up. that's awesome. I'll I don't know up. the terms. That's, so... <laughs> That's what I've been working as for the last year, and um, I, periodically, my uh, partner w- would be gone. The chief that I work with is gone, and somebody else would come in, and I, I was working with a, a deputy chief came in, and um, we got to talking, and I was at, he was working in human resources at the time, and I said, hey, man, tell me what's going on over there, and you could just see it in his eyes, man. He was tired, and he was, <laughs> he was a grinder. This guy would work, and he gave... he really cared about what was going on in the field and with what we did. And, and he was rolling through this, man, I'm, you know, I'm supposed to work five day week and four day week. I haven't had a day off. I work six days, sometimes seven days a week. It's been a grind, but here's the stuff we're getting done. Here are the things. And so he goes through this whole like dialogue on, on uh, this, uh, this information session, dumping all of this stuff that's going on. I'm feeling like, my God, you're working your tail off. You know, we go across um, to eat with the, with the crews to the station and one of the guys says, Oh, Hey, what are you up to? And he says, I'm in human resources, just kind of hide now, you know, or whatever. (laughs) And his intention was to be respectful of the work that's going on out in the field. Those guys are working and he didn't want to make it sound like he, and I remember looking at him and those guys were like, see, you know, this is what you guys <laughs> You're reinforcing do. the stereotype. <laughs> right. So he leaves and I spent the next half hour saying, hey, man, let me give you a real input on what's going on over there. This guy's doing his days off and after hours. And, um, and it was interesting because I think there is this disconnect between the work that's getting done over there. But it's not, you know, I, I tell people uh, we're so used to for 27 years, I'm used to solving problems in 30 minute increments. Right. That's what we do. We go out, we 
handle it, we solve it, and it's done. There was a commercial um, locally here uh, years ago where it was like, what would happen if public safety folks were running the government? You know, I don't know if you <laughs> saw that. And people stand up and say, we need water. They need water. Well, give them some water, you know. <laughs> we're so good at handling things in these short bursts. But when you get behind, when you look at things on a large scale on the big programs, you realize um, what, what those folks are doing, what the administrative folks are doing, they're, they're solving problems in in two year increments and three year increments. And it takes a long time and there's a lot of stakeholders involved in moving big projects, but that's how we get resources. That's how we get fire stations and trucks. And, you know, it would be awesome if we could just say, we need another truck and then order it on Amazon and it shows up, you know, if you're a prime member, it shows up within (laughs) 24, 48 hours. But, um, but when you realize it doesn't happen that way, but you but you're willing to do the work to make it happen. I don't know. I don't. I hope I'm not rabbit trailing here, but um, no. That's where things get interesting. Um, I, I I would. I'm. I, I was excited when I started to realize the impact that you can have from that side. But you have to be willing to get your head around the fact that it's going to take digging in on some stuff, and and it's a long haul, and it's going to be after hours, and it's going to be your days off coming in on on uh, in meetings when you're not scheduled and not getting paid and all those kind of things. Um, but that's what it takes to move things forward. So, so it's really important to understand that there it's a different job, right? And so you hear people say so often, Oh, you know, the chief or chiefs are disconnected. Mm -hmm. They don't understand. They don't know what we're going through. And you know, sometimes that's true. Um, but largely they have a different set of responsibilities. Yeah. So there is a there is an imperative there that as a boss, as a chief officer, you need to be asking hard. You need to be asking good quality, real questions of your people and having an open dialogue to sharing information so that you can stay connected and so that the folks in the field feel represented. Yeah. Right? They feel like, hey, my boss is listening to me. They're going to take this information seriously. And and vice versa, the folks in the field need to have a, a realistic understanding of what it takes to get something done. You know, and you talked about you know buying, you know, procuring stuff, right? Uh, not only is there procurement law, but there's also budget cycles, and the money doesn't just you know poof appear. Right. It, you know, for example, we see, you know, you see lately you've seen a lot of trucks in our neck of the woods running down the road with trusses on them. We know construction is going through the roof. The market's going crazy. Well, that's wonderful. That takes years before that money translates into the city coffers in the form of you know property right. taxes, right? So it takes time for that money to come back around before we can actually act on it right. and utilize it to to build. So you know, and then even doing bond processes and stuff like that, where you're having to go to the community and saying, "Hey, we need to borrow some money against our good credit so mm-hmm. that we can take advantage of the taxes that are going to come in in a couple of years." Right. So those processes take time. And, um, uh, you know, and, and so this is where good communication comes in, right? We want our folks to know, Hey, here's the things we're working on. Yeah. We also have to be listening to their current issues and saying, Hey, we hear you. You want blue paper towels. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And, and then understand too, that it's not always, um, that, that the politics, and I hate to even throw that out, um, that we're vying for 
piece of a limited pie, you know, like there's, there's not unlimited resources out there. And when we say, well, just, you know, let's put a half cent sales tax on something. Um, you don't realize that on the other end of the table, there's APS and, and utility companies who are fighting to say, no, when you do that, it kills us. You know, it destroys us. Right. And there's part always of a, a push and a pull. We're part of a big ecosystem. Yeah. That's exactly the word I was going to use. And, yep, that's exactly and right. so, but and so it takes real work to navigate that, to figure out how do we slice out a bigger piece? Because by doing that, it's, we got to pull from something else and then we've got to use it appropriately. And anyway, uh, it's, it's. Sometimes it's not sexy work, but when you realize, I think that that the end product is, um, we're evolving our organization, and we're seeing real change happen. And then you're looking at the troops in the field, and you're able to sort of say, "Hey, man, look at hopefully what we're able to do in tangible ways." You mentioned it earlier, and I think you're ac- you're exactly right um, with the addition. You, you said that folks need to feel like they're being supported. I agree with that. And I think I would add there also has to be legitimate support. You know, they have to be, uh, I think, um, they're going to stop feeling supported if they're not given things every once in a while, you know? Well, yeah, you can't just patronize them. Right. And may, and smoke and mirrors. And do, I think there's a point where, where that's that's the work. And it's difficult work, um, I'm understanding. But... But no, that's also where it's really cool, and I think I've uh, I've watched some some folks who are really successful at navigating that, um, and I I'm excited for you know for some of the changes that can be made here. Uh, we yeah. have a new fire chief, so that's really interesting too. I don't, um, and so you know every time we, uh, you were around when Brunacini was around, mm-hmm. and then Khan, and then Chief Kalkbrenner, and now Chief Duran, and so. Um, there's always an interesting, you know, that's, that's the evolution of the fire department. It's weird for us sometimes. It's, it's, uh, it makes it, um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Change is always interesting. But. Yeah. You know, one of the interesting things about change that I think is fascinating is that um, as much as we hate it, uh, it is a constant, mm-hmm. right? People are always retiring and new folks are coming in. And so the the most important thing that we can try to do is to make sure we're holding the line, right? That we're not regressing with this. You hear people talk about, oh, we're losing, you know, 250 years of knowledge walking out the door or whatever. And that's true. We are losing that. However, we have a lot of really thoughtful, smart, intelligent people coming in the pipeline. Mm-hmm. And our job is to make sure that they have that inform they have the information they need so they can start from where we left off. Yeah. So we're not kind of going backwards all the time and repeating history. Yeah. So and then we take those, you know, this these fresh young minds and let them share their influence in the organization, which is is tough to do because sometimes, you know, us old codgers, if we can call ourselves that get rooted you know into a groove and say hey this is how it's done this is how we do business we have to be willing to um let the new ideas uh, help shape the way we move forward in the future yeah uh you know couple that with you know with good vision for what's coming down the pipeline from from you know international and national areas and things like that and, and 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 looking at you know big organizations that are shaping the operational context that we're in and the political geo the geopolitical sphere mm-hmm. and how that influences us and then let these you know young uh, young fresh ideas percolate through the organization that requires this goes back to my other point which is that requires really good listening mm-hmm. and paying attention to what your people are saying and um you know folks have a tendency and this is why it, you can't just 
complain. You can't just say, man, this sucks. Right. You actually have to show up with a solution and offer something. Otherwise, people, you know, I, I can't. I can only sit so long and listen to you fuss and moan about how horrible it is. Yeah, it's not that horrible. Well, and I and this is an interesting point too. I I, I agree. I think um, uh, I think what I'm realizing is that and I ideas, firemen have a ton of great ideas. Um, the idea is about one percent of getting something done. Mm-hmm. Uh, we sit, I call them grenades. You know, we, we sit at the, at the dinner table. We launch these grenades. Why don't we just, and how come we don't, those are, they, they may be tremendous ideas. We have a ton of them all over the place are great ideas. The difficulty is taking that idea and actually getting feet to it yeah. so that it, it gets in that, that is the piece that I think most folks don't understand what it takes to take that idea and to drive it through an organization to make right. it work. Um, it takes thousands of hours and tons of time and getting stakeholder buy-in and working it through our labor counterparts and through city council and through layers of, and I, I don't mean to make it sound like it can't be done. It absolutely can and should, but it requires folks not just launching an idea into the middle of a room, but be willing to say, Hey, I'll help carry that idea. What, what needs done to carry that idea? Um, if we had more of that, instead of the, just saying, Hey, I, we should be doing, why don't you go do uh, if we have people to say, Hey, I have an idea and I'm willing to carry this thing to see if we can give this thing some legs, uh, man, we could get some real work done. Yeah. So another piece I like to talk, you mentioned it and, um, I, I'm really intrigued by it. It was something I never heard this term before until, uh, about six months ago. And I'm sad I didn't, um, it's called knowledge management. I don't know if we've ever talked about this. Um, it's, and if you're out there listening and you hear this, it's a, it's an absolutely intriguing concept. Google it, take a look at it. It's been around for a long time, but I think in our day and age, especially with social media and the way that we can access information and move information, you talked about those folks that are the old guys that are heading out that are retiring. Um, it, it begins to, to, to ask the question or address the question of there is a ton of knowledge that leaves, right? That walks out the door. How do we retain that? How do we know that when those folks all of the time there. Think about the fire service, man. People don't, people typically in most organizations in the fire service don't just show up and roll in every three or four years and go into another career. I know with us, our, our turnover is really, 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 really low and folks stick around for 25, 30, 35 years in this. There's an incredible amount of knowledge build up over those years. And if you've got 20, 30, 40 folks in a year walking out the door that have 30 plus years of experience, how do we capture that in, that knowledge so that it's not that we're just repeating history, but we understand where we came from. We can utilize all of these nuggets of information and knowledge. Um, I'd be curious what your thoughts are on that, but like, um, I think there is an element where we absolutely need to be building this next generation. And they're the ones with new innovative ideas that are going to build on what was left. But it, it, it should be important to us to capture a lot of that before it walks out the door hmm. to be able to continue to. And if we can do that, we raise the overall level of the ocean, man. We just keep raising the overall level of the organization because we're more knowledgeable. Yeah. If we can, pump there's that. a lot, you know what? That's great. So, you know what comes to my mind immediately, is, of course, because of what we're doing right now, podcast, mm -hmm. right? Not too long ago, whatever episode it was, episode something, something, <laughs> <laughs> I, I sat down with Chief Dennis Compton. Yep. 50 years in the fire service, and he, he shared with us, all of us who are listening to this, some 
really important thoughts and ideas and nuggets. And man, how informative is that? Mm -hmm. And that helps us understand some history, how we got to where we are. And that gives us a jumping off point that is far more advanced than where I was the day before I had that conversation, right? It's so important that we do that type of knowledge transfer. We capture it, we keep it, and we share it. And I, here's the other thing is, you know, in our organization, we do RBO, Relationship by Objective, mm-hmm. which is a labor management collaboration. That is a huge, uh, a very important process for us because it allows younger folks in the organization to show up and participate. And sometimes that means just listening. Mm-hmm. And that they now they can, if they're paying attention, they can grasp where we are contextually in, in time, mm-hmm. on our timeline. Yep. Right. And they can hear if they ask a question, Hey, how did we get to this point? What's our history with this issue? And now they can get informed. And that, that's a way to transfer knowledge there so that we have to think about, I I love what you're talking about here because there's different places we need to transfer knowledge, right? Some of it is fire ground knowledge. Well, what is our, what is our tactics and, and, and we need to challenge our paradigm there and understand how the operational context has changed and evolved, you know, talk about fire dynamics and all that type mm-hmm. of stuff. Yep. And then there's organizational history with labor management issues and with, you know, personnel issues and governmental issues and, and uh, legislative and, and political issues that have shaped the narrative and shaped how we arrived at a certain spot. Yeah. Well, if we don't understand how we got here, uh, if we don't codify that information, we're doomed to repeat it. Yep. Right. So, and we can't launch forward. And that's, I think you're exactly right for those of the, those folks. Uh, we can brag on our organization a little bit. Our RBO process is uh, not perfect, but it's, it's, it's uh, fundamental to what we do. And I think especially in this last year and a half, two years, we've gone through some challenging times. I think every organization in the nation has gone through some challenging times with staffing and budgetary issues and all of those kind of things because of pandemic that we're rolling through and, um, and, and, and just, just, just social issues and all that's happening um, our RBO process was a was a really cool microcosm of um, how we navigate through some of these difficult times. And you sit in a room and we're talking about how do we manage staffing problems because we are we're struggling to keep trucks going. And we've got you know in our organization there was a point we had 130 plus folks out of the field just because of COVID tests. And so how do you manage that? And you bring people together, you understand the system, you educate the overall group on how we manage this thing. And then you allow folks to launch. And it was some of our youngest guys launching ideas into that conversation that made the biggest changes in what we did. It was that fresh new ideas that allowed some really good input, but also raised the overall level of our our understanding based on the the history of the folks that have been around for a while. And so that was a really cool picture of what we're talking about um, at work where you have history being infused into these conversations, mm-hmm. allowing folks to understand where we came from, what's worked, what hasn't worked historically, uh, and what's been vetted already, and then getting these fresh new ideas from perspectives that we never really had. And uh, old timers looking around saying like, man, that was really good. Yeah. God, I never would have thought of that, you know, and actually implementing that stuff and seeing it make a difference. And so, um, yeah, man, I think that's that uh, that, that somehow has got to be the snapshot of, of moving forward is we've got to, like we were talking about maybe before we started recording, is how do we evolve at a rate that's at or greater than the world around us? 
you know, we've got a really f- technology and social issues and politics, all this stuff around us is evolving. Whether we like it or not, it's happening, you know. Uh, it's crazy. We'll show up now, and I'm sure everybody that's listening to this would, you know, you show up on a car wreck, and there's 40 people standing on sidewalks with their cameras out taking video of you. That's just a – we're in a different place now than we were, yeah. you know, 20 years ago. And um, how are we evolving well, to, to stay <laughs> relevant, you know? Yeah. yeah, look what's happening in the Ukraine right now, right? Yeah. I, I Oh, you're going to open, you're going to open Instagram. I'm like, is enormous. No, no, we're not going to get into (laughs) geopolitical piece of it. But, but I'm just thinking like, I, I'm like, is this real? I'm looking at Instagram and I'm seeing this, this wartime footage happening. And and I'm like, wow, they're having, they're waging a real war, political and otherwise right on the my, war's happening on my your phone. Instagram feed right yes. now. Yes, right. Yes. So, point being, and it's making a difference, and right. it's it, 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 it's it's different, and it's it's yeah. a, it's an evolved state that we don't. Man, we got to be thinking about this stuff. But it, it is it's well. That. So apply that apply that to the troops in the field, right? So yeah. this idea that um, we were talking about there's a there's a city uh, in the Midwest that is having conversations about putting body cameras on firefighters. Yeah, and everybody so, out there right now is taking huge deep breaths because that is right seems well, kind of so, scary right right and so we think about that and, and my my point to you earlier was you know if your behavior is such that that makes you uncomfortable that that's the real problem mm. right our behavior should be beyond beyond reproach when we're on calls yeah and if someone has a camera out which this is the point they do there's yeah. cameras everywhere you are just assume that you're being recorded because you probably are so your behavior should reflect the highest level of integrity and customer ser- and quality customer service when you are on that incident, like that's just how you have to behave. Yeah. And so, the fact that you have to call into question whether your behavior is appropriate to be filmed or not—that's if, if that's a problem for you, you need to really check yourself and think about what it is that you're bringing to the game and what you're doing on that incident that is questionable. Yeah. Right. Yeah, and obviously there's a lot of complexity. I'm sure this is a, this would be a great hot topic to co- converse yeah. about because hey. I think there's complexity for sure. You know, you have to understand people's intent in doing that and the context of the video that they're seeing. And uh, but yeah, man, I think you're right. Um, it, it, it at least it at least begs the question. Hey, can uh, I let me just back up real quick? Yeah, yeah. Here. Let me just say that <laughs> the, disclaimer. I, the disclaimer here is that I I learned this the hard way. Yeah, right? I have not always been the consummate professional that you see before you right now. <laughs> I've made mistakes and I've and I've said things to people that were probably inappropriate. That's no, it. not this probably. This is over. 100% I've inappropriate. Completely so, shattered. <laughs> so there, so I'm saying is that hey, we we have to check ourselves. Yeah. And that's uh, you know, I had a uh, I've told the story before, but I was uh, and I'll, I won't repeat the, all the details for just time's sake, but I was on an incident. I was an acting captain. I was behaving a little bit rude to our customer. Mm-hmm. And one of our firefighters the next morning pulled me aside and said, hey, man, you're going to get promoted one of these days. And if that's how you're going to behave, I'm not interested in working with you. Nice. And I was I was on my heels mm-hmm. with embarrassment and, and, and a check to my integrity. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, whoa. You know what? You're wow. You are a hundred percent right. I was not being nice. I was being a prick yeah. to this poor kid. And all that being said, I 180. I'm like, okay, you cannot be that guy. I don't care how grumpy, angry, disgr- you know, frustrated, whatever it is. You cannot behave that way. Yeah. Because because look what the example I'm setting for a, the senior firefighter who just like I'm not playing this game. Yeah. 
Yeah, that stuff right? matters. So thank heavens he called me out because it really changed my attitude in, in a heartbeat. Yeah, social engineering, man. I love that stuff. That's a great part of the fire service, man. We have a really good way of of navigating social settings like that we, ourselves because we live with each other, you know? Yeah. We well, you know what was really about that is his accountability. Yeah. He was like, hey, man, that's not okay. Yeah. Oh, right. You know what? You're absolutely right. That is not okay. I'm not, I don't believe my own stuff. Yeah. Right? I got to start living my, my interview. Yeah. You know what? And we've had, um, I've had this talk recently, especially when you start being minded to moving to like a, the chief side of things. I think, I think that, coming from a firefighter that was working on your truck is way more impactful than some organizational leader handing down a policy. Oh, 100%. Right? Hey, here's how we're going to dress. Here's how we're going to act. This is what we our expectations organizationally of you. Um, man, having your guy that you work with, that you respect, that you, that you really care about telling you, Hey man, that, that sucked. That was terrible. Um, I'm not okay with that. That, that was weird. I, I, it's that mars my view of you. You know, that's the kind of stuff that really changes organizations. It's people, people dealing with people problems. You know, right? Um, and I love that, man. I think it goes all ways, and we all have those. Let's not like fool ourselves. Um, I could give you a, a a long list of times where that same thing has happened to me. Not, I've not always been called on it, but. Um, we have our bad days, you know, we have those rough moments. You hope you don't get judged by your worst moments, you know, uh, because I think like we, we were talking about, um, earlier, uh, I think before we started recording is that most, I mean, overwhelming majority of the stuff that's going on out there is really good stuff. Our guys are doing noble work. They're, they're going over and above They're in, in really difficult times. We're busier. Most, most departments out there are busier than they've ever been. Uh, there's more responsibility, that's being trickled down because we just don't have all the resources that we did. Uh, we're doing more with less. We're being really creative and innovative in things. And folks are doing some really tremendous, uh, unusually good work. Uh, man, it would be a bummer if you were judged by your your the bad day, <laughs> you know. But that's what happens when people are are yeah. are, are involved in that that way. So, uh, yeah, no, that's that's good stuff, man. I think yeah. if nothing else, we used to call it the headline test. If you remember that, yeah, exactly, years ago. Uh, and that was always the litmus test is, Hey, is it, is it lawful? Is it the right thing to do? Is it good for the patient, the organization? And would it pass the headline test? At the end of the day, if somebody threw it up and, and the, the public was reading that, would it, would it make sense to them? And, uh, I think that's a pretty simple. Yeah. I, I think if we were to modernize that is, you know, would you be comfortable if this was on Instagram? Yeah. You know, yeah. if this video was posted to Instagram of you treating someone X way, yeah, would you be okay with that? Is it appropriate? Yeah. Would the community be okay with it? Yep. Yeah, it's funny, you know, a slight change here, but, you know, you hear people talk about how organizations are toxic or the culture is toxic. Mm. And the, the funny thing about that is that this speaks to what you're talking about. The, the folks who live in the firehouse, whose boots are on the ground, the, the members of this organization, they are the culture, mm -hmm. right? So if there's something wrong with our culture, if it's toxic, if it's mediocre, mm -hmm. guess who's responsible for that? Yeah. We all are, we are, right? The organizational leaders are, but also the folks who are leading from the the rear-facing seats mm -hmm. have a responsibility to provide leadership in this organization at their level. Right. And that involves, you know, uh, holding your peers accountable for their behavior. Yeah. When it goes to, on, when it's untoward. Yeah. yeah? Right. You got to catch that stuff and you got to, you got to say, Hey man, that's, that's not okay. Yeah. This is who we are. This is what we represent and how we're going to behave. 
and we have to check one another. Yeah. And I thank heavens I've had you know some really high quality senior firefighters come along in my career who nudged me in the right direction. Yeah. You know, and I'm you know Mike Velasquez, shout out. You know, he <laughs> course corrected me. He was gosh, he was probably like a year from retirement. Like he was an salty old yeah. dog, <laughs> but yeah. he but he said, hey, this is what's important. Yeah, and he and he got me right where I needed to be. It was wonderful yeah. that he was willing to do that. No, it is important to see. I think we make our we we make the bed that we lie in. You know, yeah. more than we give our that we want to take responsibility for. You yeah, know? and um, and I think even beyond that, we've got our you know the the PFD way was always the guiding uh, document coming on um, that I thought I think people nationally thought was uh, was really sort of um, hey I, I heard people ask. Uh, Man, is that really how it works over there? You know, because it seemed really, um, uh, what's the word, uh, utopian, I guess. Um, it is. It, it is for the most part, but it is to the extent that we do that. You yeah. know, it's just our responsibility, man. And, and so it is, it's important to keep each other in check. In, but more importantly, and that's why I reference that, is it's important to just have response, take responsibility, you know. Yeah. own the fact that it is and and i do get folks are tired the work we do is can be stressful and strenuous um yeah. we're dealing with more you know behavioral health issues and there's there's violent interactions that we're having that are unusual um that that things have changed and evolved out there in terms of of the type of incidents that we're running on you know um and the complexity of those things and the potential of those things um, and so there's this heightened level of, of all kinds of things. At the end of the day, we create the culture out there and uh, we get to decide how, how it feels and how it looks and what we do with it. And so uh, that's a good point. Yeah. yeah. Hey, so speaking, you know, I think about the, the fact that we're responsible for the culture and there, there's a lot of things that we're responsible for. And, and I, I want to touch on this before we close out is... Um, you know, there's a lot of things that can affect us, mental health, physical health, you know, and, and cancer prevention is something that's been a massive issue in the American fire service for a little while now. And, um, and, and became something uh, I'll call it a passion project for you, yeah. um, that is involved into a product that you and some folks developed. And I want, I want you to share a little bit about how you got into the, the cancer prevention sphere and, um, and then tell me about the, the decon or storm stick. Yeah. It's called. Well, thank you. Uh, yeah, and I um, it, this has been an interesting tumble um, because I, I know I've mentioned it to you before. I, this uh, where we're at now is not where I envisioned this starting off. But I our our department is not unlike anybody else around the nation. I think our statistics run just pretty much close. We're just a large organization, and so um, we we in the field started feeling the effects of our folks getting diagnosed with these cancers and getting really sick. And, um, and we've had now over the last few years, a number of deaths related to this. Um, quite a few uh, folks who have been diagnosed with cancer that can never return to the field because of this. And so uh, as, a, as a captain on a truck, I, um, I was sitting at, a, at one of the funerals of our folks and um, I could get emotional about this, but there's something about seeing a guy who had I don't know, less than eight years on the job, um, who I worked with his dad who was retired, us handing his wife holding a newborn kid a flag because he died of a cancer that we know is due to exposures on the job. It just shouldn't be that way. 
and these are these are um, there's a there's a tragedy that's happening nationwide, and it's by far the greatest threat that we have facing us right now. Um, the statistics are from 2002 to 2012, they were measuring um, uh, cancer rates, and 61 percent of deaths um, among active firefighters in the United States was due to cancer diagnosis. Um, and then that number jumped to about 70% in 2016. I think last year on the wall in Colorado, when they do the firefighter fall and firefighter memorial, um, about 75% of those names were due to cancer. This isn't mm -hmm. just a, this isn't just a, a, a difficult issue. It's trending upwards. We're not getting our hands around this thing the way we should be. And so, um, once I started looking at this, you see the realities of this. I was a captain on a truck and my, I just thought, I want to do something for my guys. So this started as, as a, a tool that I wanted to develop collectively to take care of four of us. You know, that's all I knew. So selfish. I, I know it's horrible, <laughs> uh, but it was, you know, and, and we had some guys at the station that did, did metal work and were really good at machining stuff. And so I thought, man, let's, I'm just going to dream something up. I've got some ideas. So let's start working through this. So we did, that was, gosh, that was four years ago, five years ago when we started this. And um, we started developing an on-scene gross decon tool, um, thinking that, hey, this is the first and most intense point of exposure. Let's try to figure it out as far upstream as we can figure it out. And, um, and so that's where this started. And we, we, we looked at developing a tool that would solve some of the problems with this clunky on-scene stuff. You know, we've got people pulling garden hoses and buckets, and it's just difficult to, to do. I think there's been a lot of corners cut in that and lack of effectiveness. And so we wanted something that solved some of those problems. We're, easy to set up that people would actually use. It was really effective. And so it was really a fun thing for us to go through, to vet, to work, work out. We came up with something and we're like, wow, this is pretty cool, you know? So then it was, well, how do we get this to some of the stations around us, man? Let's help out our battalion, you know? And we started figuring out how do we adapt this to different trucks? And then it got to, man, what if we could get this in, in on all the trucks in our department? Guys are using it. We were using it on dumpster fires and car fires, stuff that nobody was even doing decon on. I mean, it was effective. And so that was where this thing started. And it was really um, the idea of building a business out of this has never, <laughs> was never on the radar, man. I, I, and to be honest with you, that's the part of this that I struggle with the most is, um, is the business piece of it. But the passion projects, I'm glad you called it that. That was what this was about is how do we put the, how do we look at the biggest the, the most effective area that we can put the biggest dent in this issue first. Um, and that's where we started with this. And so we have a, you know, a detergent based wet rinse on scene decon tool. That's incredibly effective. We just got some UL testing results back and it was, we were blown away by the, the amount of VOCs and PAHs and heavy metals that we're pulling off of stuff in about 10 to 15 seconds. And so, um, so that's the tool. Um, the other piece of that, though, is realizing that this cancer prevention thing is a huge, it's a multifaceted thing. Um, this is no magic bullet. We, we, we set out to address a particular issue, and I believe that the tool that we've built is uh, by far the most effective and efficient in its space. Um, <laughs> I'm biased, of course. But it has to be coupled with all kinds of other things. It's not a magic bullet that's going to fix this problem. Tactics yeah. is important. Equipment design and the way that we use our PPE and, and using SBA as an overhaul and wiping our skin off after we're done and taking showers quickly and making sure that we're not taking stuff into stations and the way we diet and, and, and sleep. And all of these things are going – we're going to have to get better at all of these 
in order to really significantly start um, reversing some of these numbers. I think we can do it. And that's, that's the passion project is putting a dent in these cancer numbers. However, we have to do it. We've developed a tool that I think is really cool, but it's a piece of a much bigger, uh, a, a much bigger project, a much bigger um, uh, 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 system that we have to build in order to to really do this. But that's it, man. Realizing that this issue is a, a, is a really significant issue. Uh, most people in the fire service, I'm sure that are listening here that have been around for any period of time, either know of, uh, been around, uh, have been impacted by uh, one of their fellow workers or someone nearby that has been impacted by cancer in the fire service. And so we're trying to do what we can to make a difference. No, oh, that's awesome, man. I, I appreciate you doing that. And I, I will share a, a link to your guys' website in the show notes so people can check out the product. Oh, cool. It's okay. called the Storm Stick. What I love about it is, and you touched on this briefly, is you know if you want people to use uh, a, a technique or a tool or whatever, you have to make it accessible and easy. Mm-hmm. easy. And if, if there's like added steps that complicate the, the situation, people are less likely to use it. Right. So in the engineering of this product, you made it simple and easy for people to use, which I think is cool because that's, when you talk about human behavior, yeah. that facilitates the use of it, which people are more likely to use it. And, um, you know, when you come out of a fire and you are, you know, working hard and you're, you know, huffing and puffing and you got a regulator on, you don't want to DC your regulator until you've done a gross decon. Mm-hmm. So if it's a pain that's not set up and you got to set it up and you're still breathing air, you're not going to do it. You're yeah. going to unclick. You're going to breathe in that crappy air yeah. and you're just going to expose yourself. And the exposure is done. That's the problem is that then it's happened. Yeah, there's no, and the, there's no getting, putting the tube, the toothpaste back in the tube. Right. Um, and, and one other piece I think it's important, and this is going to, I'm a terrible salesman. And so, um, <laughs> I, I don't, I don't, I, I think it's important to understand, um, organizationally for those who are in positions of leadership is that, <clears throat> Um, having fancy tools that do, uh, you know, even if they're tremendous tools, don't mean anything if people aren't using it. And what I'm finding, sp- speaking to folks around the nation, is that it, there really has to be multi, uh, there's a multifaceted approach to even changing culture in the fire oh, service. Yeah. And, and what I've seen, at least right now, what I'm under the impression of is that um, th- if, if folks don't understand why they're doing what they're doing and don't have buy-in on the problem, uh, the, it's probably going to fail. If there's not repeatable, and that's where we've tried to come in, if there's not a repeatable, very easy to use solution to this that you can model that this is a repeatable behavior that we can do every single time that's super easy to access, if that's not there, we make it complicated, folks aren't going to use it. And if there's not systemic organizational support from the top down in terms of policy reinforcement from battalion chiefs and assistant chiefs and those folks in the system that really um, that create the resources, the policy, the backing and support these systems, it's probably doomed to fail. And so our tool isn't for those folks that don't if they don't have buy-in, if folks don't think this is an important issue, then a, a shiny tool that works really well is going to sit in a cab somewhere really and it's never going to use. So yeah. um, I think from an organizational standpoint, there's a lot of work that we have to do. Um, but we're proud of the tool that we have for those folks that are ready to start, you know, putting a dent in this that really give give uh, care about. Give uh, a shit. You can say it. <laughs> thanks. Okay. I didn't know if what I was supposed to be able to say. Um, <laughs> Uh, about their folks, our tool is a great tool in its space, but it's got to be coupled with a whole with a with a comprehensive plan and then really some support all the way around it. So um, anyway, 
I know I'm not selling my tool very well, but I, 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 no, I, I'm more interested in effectiveness than I am in us really doing the right thing and, and looking at the long view of this than I am in peddling a widget. So, um, yeah. Well, I appreciate your enthusiasm and your passion because it, it doesn't, you know, you said this earlier, right? That these things take time and they take, it, it takes work and energy and it takes data and, and all kinds yeah. of different yep. things have to be affected in order for us to make changes. It's not as simple as a bright and shiny tool. Yeah. That would be fantastic if it was that easy, but it's just not that easy. Um, you know, human beings are messy and, you know, in a lot of different ways and, and getting them to um, appreciate uh, a, a threat that in and of itself is problematic. So yeah. it's, uh, um, it's, it is not an easy thing. And, and I think though, I will say this, I feel like the fire service at large is beginning to understand the, the, the severity of this threat. And, um, yeah. and we will start seeing more broad sweeping changes. People are going to get, people get it and yep. they're, they're understanding it. And now it's just a matter of how, what, what things can we do every day to help us mitigate cancer? Mm-hmm. Cause the hard part is, is this is something that, that, you know, that you get exposed to early in your career and you don't feel like it's a threat. Yeah. And it's not until, you know, once the cancer's arrived, it's too late. Yeah. So we have to be building in systemic behaviors and systemic processes early in our career that are, that are sustainable. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think we're seeing that you're, you're exactly right. The data, more and more and more data is coming out. So we're understanding it better. We're understanding yeah. the pathology of this a little bit better. Uh, legislative legislatures, uh, is, is changing laws that is impacting, um, presumptive cancer issues and supporting our folks through right. some of these laws. And that's sweeping the nation right now. Right. Uh, more and more agencies are coming into early detection, uh, processes to really help firefighter use innovative and, 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 and sort of front edge uh technology to try to catch this early and so i think it is man we're, we're going to be uh i'm optimistic i am incredibly optimistic at what's going to happen here in the years to come i'm excited to be part of it and just be sitting at the table having the conversation and hopefully driving a lot of things forward yeah um and once again i'm, I'm proud of the work that we did that started off as just sort of a an idea at a dinner table at the fire yeah. station well, so, it takes that takes that yeah. it takes that idea at the fire station you know the grenade thrown into the room as you said earlier <laughs> right. you got to start the process somewhere so yeah. that's the catalyst yeah. all right a couple rapid fire questions okay then we'll pull it to a close what is one bad recommendation that you've heard people give oh we touched on it and this might uh, somebody might you know call me on this i think a bad recommendation is um when people say if it's not broke don't fix it um i like that. I, I think there's a lot of things that we've, you know, uh, uh, Chief Brunacini used to say, um, if we're doing the same things we were doing 20 years ago, we're probably doing it wrong. Uh, I think there's a, there's a little bit of truth in all of that is yes. that there are some things that, that may stand the test of time, but by and large, we need to, we need to challenge those things regularly. And there's some things that we might be able to continue to drive forward, but they're not the they're not the better way. We talk about best practices. I like better practices. I think we ought to always be evolving. And what was good 10 years ago, there's there's probably a better now than there was then. And in five years, there's going to be a better than there was now. So I'd like to start breaking things that aren't broken yet just to see if, if they, they are the, the best way. So that, that's nice. what I would say. To that. All right. I love that. Um, what would you tell 18-year-old Jason? Oh, man. Um, I wouldn't listen to 18 year old Jason if I was 18 year old Jason. I know I wouldn't care what I had to say to me. Let's see. Time uh, machine. You can go back and visit yourself. Okay. If I could do it. With all your wisdom now. 
I think I would, um, I would, I would tell myself, or I would, uh, I would like to to realize um, the long view. Take a deep breath. Um, uh, everything's not a battle to be won today. I think uh, there's this, there's real um, value in longevity, and it, there's a strength in uh, in curiosity. So stay curious, my friends. I guess <laughs> the curiosity. Be curious, listen, take a deep breath, and realize that that um, that you're in this for the long game. Um, I, I think I was just a really impatient person back then. I still am. I don't know if you get that through somebody. I, I want to fix things quickly, but um, but that's but I think I could have used a little bit more of just take a deep breath, listen a little bit more, ask a lot more questions, be curious, uh, and 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 think through some of the th- the decisions you make before you make them. I like that. I guess that's All right, last one. As you know, this podcast is called the Fireground Fitness Podcast. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to you to be Fireground Fit? Yeah, I would say to me, Fireground Fit is more of a it's more of a, a commitment to the process, a mindset than it is a an arrival somewhere. Um, I think to be Fireground Fit, I don't know that you ever totally arrive there. It's an evolution. It's a process. And so, um, I, I look at it, if we want to, we could break fitness down into a lot of different ways, you know, emotional and physical and, 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 uh, uh, but if we, if you talk about getting fit physically, uh, if I say I want to get fit, uh, I'm going to go to the gym for eight hours and come home and I'm, you can't just go to the gym for eight hours and be fit all of a sudden. Right. But if I was to say, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to plan to go to the gym for 45 minutes to an hour, five days a week for the next year. There's a pretty high likelihood that at the end of that year, I'm going to be fit. It's the process. It's the commitment to the process. There's also the process that the, the, the point that if you get to that place and you decide, okay, I'm done. I'm not, I don't need to exercise anymore. You're going to find yourself in a place that's not fit in pretty short order. And so to me, I would say it's a commitment to, to the process, man. That's what I think of when I think of fitness. I think those in the fire service would, would get that, that there's got to be this ongoing leaning into what we do to stay ready, to stay physically fit, emotionally fit, to stay, to keep our relationships in good places. Um, If not, man, if we're not pedaling, we're in a, we're in a current and we're moving in a direction. And so, um, especially in this job to be fit is to lean into and be active and engaged in the process, be committed to the process of moving forward, um, in all of those different areas. Hope that made sense how I said that, but yeah, no, I love it. That's yeah. great. So, Hey man, if people want to reach out and want to check out the storm stick or want to reach out and ask you questions, where would they find you? Uh, you can find us. We're on Instagram at StormstickDecon. We, uh, you can also check out our website at www.stormstickdecon.com. Shoot me an email. Uh, send us some stuff on Instagram. Let us know what you're thinking. Um, and uh, yeah, love to hear from people out there. We're excited about what we're doing for yeah. sure. Right on, brother. Well, hey, thank you so much for taking the time and, and sharing your time and experience and your, uh, your thoughts with us. Thanks, Rain. It's always fun hanging out with you. Hey, that's all we have for today, folks. Thanks for tuning in. If you are enjoying the Fireground Fitness Podcast, get on over to whatever platform you enjoy listening on, subscribe, and this podcast will drop in the middle of the night when you least expect it. Beyond that, 
hey, take the lessons that you've learned here today. Go on out there. Find a way to imbue them into your life. Make your evaluate who you are, what you're doing, and the things that are important in your life. Set those priorities. Lean in and go on out there and get some.